Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast, the only Italian football podcast bringing you into the Serie A stadiums every single week. And this week was no different. But joining me are two people who sadly were not in the stadiums, at least this week anyway. First up is Kev Pogazelski. Kev, welcome back. You were missed last week. I know. It was uh, very nice for you to speak so fondly of me uh, as I listened in. I can't remember what was said. I just remember... We mentioned there were, there were tears, early. you know. There were tears. There's lots of tissues going around. Wow, I must have been really sad because I've oh, blocked God. that from my memory, Kev. So it must have been a really emotional time for me. Um, the other emotional person last week was Vito Doria. Then Vito, welcome back. I hope you're happier than we apparently were last week. <clears throat> oh, look, I'm still happy. Results went the way that I like them too. So. Happy with that, and yeah, good to hear Kev on the pod because I'm sure the Lazio Roma derby. I'm sure he'd have plenty to say about that. Guys, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's not let's not egg him on before we even get to the match, Vito. Come on, we'll we'll start with. <laughs> the, well, there were two really really big games this week. One was, as you mentioned, the derby della Capitale, but we'll start with the top two, which was Juventus Napoli or Napoli Juventus rather, and. Surprise, surprise. Juve went to the Stadio San Paolo and came away with all three points. Kev, was it ever in doubt? No, I don't, I don't think so. And there was a lot There was a lot made, obviously, Alistair was there. And there was a lot made about the atmosphere inside uh, the San Paolo tonight. But for the first 60 minutes, you were never really convinced that Napoli believed even that they could win. And, and that's, that was sort of the the overwhelming feeling I got as I was watching the game and almost as if that 13-point buffer had Juventus sort of playing with the, the handbrake on, so to speak. It's a, it, was a, it was a game that sort of gave you mixed feelings because 
the supporters are almost treating it as if, you know, this would get them back in a total race. The players probably were for the last half hour. But before that, it was a bit of a, not a non-contest, but there's nothing really riding on it. No, Vito, let's be honest. Even if Napoli had won this 5-0, the title race doesn't exist. Juventus still would have been some way clear with not enough games to continue their recent blip, if we can even call it that. And the title's been won for a long time. Absolutely. Even if uh, Napoli did win, let's face it, they would still have had a huge margin to cut down. And the only way that would have happened is not so much Napoli playing well for the remainder of the season, but it would take something like a severe injury crisis to hit Juventus, especially to the defence, because when Chiellini was out, there were some vulnerabilities. If, for instance, Bonucci and Chiellini picked up injuries in the near future and they're ruled out for the rest of the campaign, that would probably be the only thing Napoli would hope for. But other than that, Juventus just have a superior squad to everyone else. I was watching it um, in my apartment just after getting back from Ferrara and I went down to bring the bins downstairs, came back and I just saw that Ospina was about to come on and the little red card symbol above Napoli's name. And I just thought, okay, game over, job done. I've seen some people questioning whether or not Merritt deserved to be sent off, Kev, but is it really up for debate? Um, I don't think so, really. I you, Obviously, you've got the, what do we call it, the, the exaggeration from Ronaldo, from Ronaldo as he goes over. Mm. But I think if somebody's, I think if somebody's running at you at that speed and they, they effectively put themselves in the way to block your run, regardless of if they make contact, they're stopping, they're, they're putting you off your stride, if you like. So um, I think that's what warrants the, the red card. Um, I'm pretty sure, reading some of Vito's tweets earlier, that he might disagree slightly. Am I right? I initially disagreed. Continue, Vito. Go. I initially disagreed, but after some clarification, um, I could see why Merritt was given the red card. And, uh, yeah, it, it tends to be a stigma, especially more Ronaldo in his early days. He got labelled as a diver and all that. But regardless of who it was, I think there was very little for Ronaldo or anyone else to do in that situation because if he didn't leap over or dive over Merritt, uh, Merritt would have... Uh, clearly taking him out because uh, Merritt was really going at full speed, essentially. If that foul happened in the box, would that just have been a yellow card? Because Oh, the whole uh, double jeopardy uh, yeah, scenario. It wouldn't have been a red card, would it? <laughs> no, I thought that. I should have, should have let him come in. You should have waited. Yeah, because it was a tricky one because when Pjanic was lining up that free kick and Ospina had come on having not obviously warmed up properly as a goalkeeper for maybe 45 minutes before that. You were just thinking, if this is on target, it's a goal. If 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 Ospina has to move in any way and jump for this, there's no way he's getting to it just because it's a tricky situation to come on for. He, he nearly would have been better off facing a penalty with his first bit of action probably as well. Is an well, I didn't understand was a substitution. Yeah, it was Milik that went off, right? It was because I thought, okay, maybe maybe he doesn't want somebody that's less mobile than the other strikers. But then you're 13 points behind. You've got to go for 
you've got to go for Juventus. So why not leave him up? Yeah, because half time he took off a fullback and put Mertens on anyway. So it, it, it just seemed a bit too negative given the circumstance. I thought that, but to his credit, it did seem to work. After Juventus mm. went ahead, they didn't. They weren't by far the better team or anything. And then Napoli did have that dominant spell. And I think it was probably just that, right? That Milik's not the most mobile or versatile of forwards. And if you're playing with 10 men, maybe you want Mertens to be the guy up there instead. And just it took one change more than it otherwise would have to get Mertens on because obviously they needed to bring on a goalkeeper at first. But I, don't, I was kind of shocked that it was Milik to come off as well. But I, I don't know. It's hard to really be too critical of Ancelotti's changes for me in this one because... I think Napoli were okay. And it's it's maddening, Vito, because what does it come down to? Why do Napoli never really get the job done against Juventus? I know they did in Turin last year, but other than that, Juve have a pretty good record. I can only suspect that it's uh, an inferiority complex because of the huge history Juventus has in Italian football, whereas Napoli, if you look at the trophy cabinet it's much less other than that it's really just down to the squad quality you will have the depth whereas Napoli obviously do not have as much depth as the Bianconeri not only that uh, you can't expect uh, De Laurentiis to splash out money on the squad like the Agnelli family have been able to do for the last 90 years or so yeah well someone who was brought in Kev was Fabian Ruiz and after seeing him play in Parma last week I was singing his praises on the pod he was quite good again tonight yeah he's been he's been impressing quite a bit really this year he he was sort of driving forward with the ball and he was he's putting Napoli on the front foot when you know when well I was gonna say when they needed to but they they needed to from the from the first uh first whistle really he's just a very um I don't want to use the word tidy but you know he's clearly a, a very got a very good technique um yeah i'm lost i'm a little bit lost of words say say tidy, it? mate. it's all right it's all right mm. um right we'll go there was another controversy with with napoli getting the penalty that they were given to make it two each obviously insignia never converted it but it, it was a questionable decision veto did you think it was the right one to award a penalty after going and looking at it a second time i don't think it was a penalty because if you look very closely at the action uh, the ball hits alexandro's chest before it hits his right arm so on the basis of that um in those circumstances i would give the defender a little bit of uh, benefit of a doubt and probably would not have Award the penalty, to be honest. That being said, you know, uh, Insignia should have done a lot better to convert that penalty because, you know, whether it be Napoli or anyone else, they complain that Juve get favours and they blame referees, VAR, etc. But once you get that opportunity yourself, you've got to take it. So you can't keep looking at Juve to blame for your own uh, flaws. You've got to be the master of your own destiny and... Insignia had that chance, and he failed again in a big match. How predictable was it, though, that Insignia was going to miss that penalty? That, see, that was... see, see, I don't think it was that bad a penalty. You know, if you think if you think about the the, the speed at which he hit it, 
And you know what? You're a couple of inches of it going off the post and in. You know, if 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 it if it's that that, that, that couple of inches the other side, then everybody's saying that's a wonderful pen. You know, and he's obviously put the power in it. It's we are talking very small margins here from that being a wonderful penalty. It wasn't as if it was too close to the goalkeeper. No, I get what you're saying, but I just think any penalty that's missed is bad. You know, it's an easy, op- not easy, but it's it's as good an opportunity as you could ask for to score, to have a clear shot from 12 yards. So if you miss it, I think there is some amount of responsibility on the, the taker. And I, I do understand what you mean, though, because I often defend players who hit the crossbar with a penalty because I'm thinking, well, look, it's it's an inch away from being the best penalty you've seen. But yeah. If you miss, I think a penalty is rightfully considered as bad. But Napoli did show something in this case. Like they went down to 10 men. Okay, Juve did too. But Napoli were actually not too bad. No, they weren't. I don't know. I do still keep going back to the fact that Juventus didn't really need to win the game. I, I, if I'm being critical I don't even know why Napoli were really that bothered <laughs> you know it's a strange one it's it's like I suppose take a take a scenario close to me where there is a lot of outcry now over Liverpool falling behind City and you think to yourself you're still a point off top nine weeks or whatever we've got left at the end of the season Napoli are going into that thinking we've got 13 points to make up yet but we're still in the Europa uh, Europa League. I don't know if it needed all of that, all of that hype and build up for this game. Really, I can't believe anyone there honestly thought that this was going to get them back into the title race. And it's then you know, do should you be preserving your energy? It's, it's you know, you shouldn't do that for any game. But I don't know. I just I just don't understand where this blind optimism came from. I'm not you sure know, on the, in, the, in the stands and on the, by the, from the players. I'm not sure if it was ever about the title race, though, was it? It was just about beating Juventus. And obviously, Napoli can't say, oh, yeah, we would just love to beat Juventus and that be that. They have to frame it somehow by saying, oh, yeah, well, if we beat the team that are ahead of us, it gives us a chance to close the gap. But in, in reality, I think it was more about beating Juventus and getting something to to brag about more than anything else. Well, I am now joined by Alistair McKenzie, who was at the Stadio San Paolo for an entertaining night's, night's work, I'm sure, Alistair. There were a lot of people at the San Paolo, which there aren't always, and the atmosphere seemed incredible. It was definitely quite hostile, but how did that impact on the players, both Juve's and Napoli's? Hey, Gunnar. Well, the atmosphere was something else tonight. Um the Napoli fans were, were certainly up for this game and if you know, no matter what our own feelings are about whether or not this was really going to open up the uh, Scudetto race, they certainly seemed to think so and even if it wasn't that, definitely just wanted to get one over a team that they've been battling with in recent seasons and that much was very obvious. I um, thought I got to the stadium quite early today, got there about three hours before kickoff. but then as soon as I arrived I saw massive queues 
um, <laughs> going out of more or less every gate I walked past. Um, the, the street sellers with the uh, scarves and the flags and everything were doing pretty good business already. Uh, a lot of people already in the stadium when I when I eventually got inside about two and a half hours before kickoff, there was I'd say probably about between five and ten thousand people already in there waiting, ready to go. And so it just turned into a massive. Uh, Spectacle! By the time the, the UV players came out to warm up, everyone was was already warmed up in the crowd, and there was an enormous reception, boos and whistles, jeers. Uh, every time the UV fans, there weren't many of them, but every every time that the small pocket of them tried to sing a song, they'd be shot, shouted down very quickly. Um, and to be honest, it was just the, the hostility was something else. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo predictably was the I suppose the target of a lot of it when he was doing his warm-up, they would pretty much ignore everyone else who's doing their shooting drills. And then when Ronaldo stepped up to take one, the, the noise would just erupt. And then especially if he missed, there would be a kind of collective uh, roar um, uh, and yeah, a lot of colourful language being thrown at him. But yeah, I mean, obviously the crowd were extremely up for it. It was a very good atmosphere, a much bigger crowd than they usually get. It was about 42,000 inside there tonight. Um, which, if you look at their their average for this this uh, this season, is it's more or less pretty much double what they've usually been getting. But uh, I think that I, I wouldn't say, um, from my experience today anyway, that it that it would have put pressure on the players. I think the opposite it actually really helped them on, particularly in that second half. I think it did instill in them uh, helped anyway to instill in them a belief that they could make mount to come back especially after Pjanic's uh, second yellow card came through because the crowd really got behind them. That entire second half was just wave after wave of, of, of Napoli attacks, which Juve were resisting, but I think they did really uh, stick with them right until the end. They believed right until the end, and I think that that, in my opinion, must have really helped them tonight, and Carlo Ancelotti said something similar as well. Yeah, well, it did seem to, right? Because their performance wasn't actually that bad, despite going down to 10 men so early. They they could have thrown in the towel, but they, they didn't. But what did you make of the game, then? The game itself, I suppose, turned on its head on that decision to send off Alex Merritt in the, in the first half. And that's one that's already triggered a lot of debate online, I've seen during the game, and I think that debate will go on a long way afterwards because it is one of those marginal decisions that can be looked at in different ways depending on how you want to see it. But Carlo Ancelotti, certainly in his press conference after the game, was uh, quite legitimately and level-headedly uh, criticising it because he wasn't uh, shouting that it's a dive or there was no contact. What he was saying was that Gianluca Rocchi has the power and he has the wherewithal to go and do a pitch side review and given how many different things he needs to take into consideration with a last man challenge like that, for example, how much contact there was but also the trajectory of the ball and the likelihood of Ronaldo catching up to it and possible covering defenders in Napoli as well. He believed that the decision had been rushed into, and I have to say I agree with him. To be honest on that, I don't. I do think that there was enough contact, and uh, for it to have been a red card, I think it was probably the right decision. But I can understand why uh, there's it's caused such uproar. Um, but yeah, I mean that did, to be honest, come at a bad time for Napoli. Obviously, in the first half, getting a player sent off is a disaster. 
but I thought they'd started the game pretty strongly. They, um, they they looked to be kind of comfortably setting into their game plan, I suppose, at that point. And given that Ancelotti in the build-up to this game had spoken of the fact that the last time his team played um, Juventus, they, they didn't really know their identity yet. They, they haven't really worked out their style yet, whereas now they're a lot more mature in the team. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, how much they've developed over the season. Um, but... Uh, that, that kind of went up in smoke as, as soon as something like that happens and you're forced into a position where you're having to, to react really to, to things on a minute-by-minute basis almost. And they didn't react particularly well to it. I think not only that red card, but the fact that Pjanic then went, stepped up and immediately scored from the resulting free kick, which, which kind of helped either. Um, so the, the Emery Changle they conceded I thought was quite soft and was quite avoidable. And also not really like them because... Don't forget how, how good Napoli's defensive record has been recently. They were going for six clean sheets in a row tonight um, until conceding these two goals. And yeah, which, which is a really remarkably good defensive record and it's perhaps something that's been a bit overlooked in their recent form. Mm. Um, but now for Napoli, I suppose it has to be all about the Europa League. And I think that will be their, their focus for the rest of the season. And um, Max Allegri said after the game that he thought that was a competition they could go on and win and I think he's probably right I think they're settled enough in second and they're far enough away from first now that they're not really going to be too bothered about that um, but from a Juventus perspective they they really know how to find ways to win games we know that much so I won't dwell on it because it gets repeated a bit too often but I think in the terms of the performance, there will definitely still be things that Juve fans will be concerned about uh, going into that second leg of the Atletico Madrid game because that's, that's such a huge tie. And to, in order to overturn the 2-0 first leg defeat, they're going to have to bring out the best performance of their season. And the suggestions we got tonight weren't really that that's about to happen. Um, but again, they did manage to get a good result in a difficult place against a good team. So they, they do definitely still have that just just that winning spirit that's taken them so far in recent years and makes them almost untouchable in Italy. The thing is, they don't really carry that untouchable uh, tag in Europe quite so much. So that's going to be something else for them to think about. Uh, their midfield, I thought, was poor tonight. Not only Pjanic getting sent off pretty needlessly, but they were getting overrun a little bit, even when it was 11 against 11. Zielinski streaming straight through the middle of midfield a few times. So that's going to be a cause of concern for Allegri. Uh, it seems strange to, to talk about negatives with Juventus after going to Naples and, and getting a win, but uh, I think it's simply because they've set themselves such, such extraordinarily high standards um, this season. And like I say, with that Atletico Madrid game in mind, that has to be their focus now, and I think that they'll have to up their game from what we saw tonight um, to be ready for that one. The other mm. big game of the weekend then was a big game on paper. In reality, it turned out to be a breeze for Lazio. Lazio beat Roma 3 0 in the Derby della Capitale. And let's start with Eusebio Di Francesco's post match comments. Vito, he said that Roma weren't that bad. Well, I think he's covering up for his own team's deficiencies and he's in denial because 3-0 was a proper reflection of that performance. 
Uh, before we go on to talk about how good Lazio were, must say that uh, Roma were rather bad in their own right. Defensively, they were poor, but even when they went forward, they looked like they lacked cohesion and they didn't have the right balance up front. Playing Zaniolo as a fake right winger just didn't work out and he's a trequatista. There's no point in experimenting with a player like that. Just play him to his strengths and let it be. It did seem quite strange because he was never really comfortable there and it was only in the second half that I really remembered, oh wait, They've got Justin Clivert just sitting on the bench doing nothing, right? And Zaniolo's out of position, uncomfortable. Kev, what happened here? Why was Zaniolo being tried as a right winger when we know how effective he can be elsewhere? Why was Justin Clivert left on the bench like this? And why did it just go so terribly wrong? Well, I think it all just stems from a a lack of confidence in his own sort of decision-making from uh, Di Francesco. You know, he's sort of maybe struggling for answers. Yeah, you know, just I suppose there is an argument that Zaniolo is still so young and untried in a lot of positions that you could, you know, not give him a go there, but but see what you can get out of him there, drifting inside, you know. But Kev, is you've got this this guy who's a superstar. And from his performances this season, he's going to terrify teams. So don't take the risk with him. Don't move him to another position. Keep him where he's most effective. But then you'd arguably be putting him up against Lucas Leiva, who was one of Lazio's best performers on the night. You know, if there's anybody experienced enough to deal with a, you know, a deep lying attacker, you know, Zaniolo would have the pace to to get past Lucas if running at him. But often people just disregard how good Lucas's positioning is, you know, to deal with to deal deal with players of that sort of uh, that type. I see, what, but at least at least try because you say Zaniolo's got the pace. I could see Lucas being a little bit worried about facing Zaniolo, to be honest. But it's not what happened. It's one of the strange decisions that really did come back to bite Di Francesco on the night. But right, we've started with Roma, so we might as well continue with them before we get on to Lazio. But Patrick Schick came on, did nothing. We won't talk too much about him, but um. Right, Roma, Robin Olsen. Oh, where are we going? He had a good game, didn't he? I, I think um, I gave my lowest ever player rating, I think, today. I, I tried to give Antonio Condreva a, a three a few years ago, but the boss said I wasn't allowed. So this time I went as low as a 3.5 and it was given the thumbs up. And yeah, 3.5 out of 10 for Olsen, my lowest ever player rating. And I wanted to go lower. He was terrible, Kev. See, oddly, I I was away last week, so I hadn't seen the performance against Frosinone, and I watched it this afternoon. And uh, I think he could have, if he's three and a half this week, he probably could have got lower last week. Um, I think a penalty's a penalty. He does <laughs> have an awful, awful error of judgment at the start of the game, where um, I, I think he just clashed with one of the centre-halves. Um, but I think you're doing Casado a little bit of a disservice with the, you know, it's, it's close control to take it round him for the first, but that last one was just absolutely shocking. You're, you're yeah. letting him off lightly with the penalty, by the way, a penalty is a penalty, <laughs> but he could have done a lot better. And why didn't he foul Casado? He's not going to get sent off. He'll get a yellow card. 
I think he tried. I think if he got if he got closer to him, he would. But you know, Casado does a a great job of taking it around him there. I am giving him a little bit of not credit, just digging him <laughs> out of any uh, criticism from you. But as I say, the last one, well, he had you know he had paper for hands really. It was bad, it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... just just the way he dived looked like he he was someone who'd not been in goal ever before in his professional career, any career. Vito, just speak. Well, I think probably for the first goal, he probably should have done better with uh, the Caicedo one. But I think um, probably the third one, maybe he could have done better, yes. But I thought um, I maybe. thought pretty well with that third goal, with the whole execution of the build-up and the passing, starting from the right side of midfield and just working it there. I thought it was a fantastic team move, even though maybe Olsen could have done better with Cataldi's final shot. Kev, maybe? Matt, well, he should have definitely done better. His positioning, for one, was he just seemed miles away from where he should have been. You know, you, you know you've got the you know, the likely left foot shot from Cataldi, but oh, he's, he's just awful. <laughs> we should um, say hello to Aaron Holland, who's back in the comments. Aaron, we haven't seen you for a few weeks. You've picked a bad week to return, I'm afraid. He, he just wrote in caps no as soon as we moved on to the Rome again but I, I feel sorry for him he does say that roller coasters are for life though which, which is nice he's sticking with his team I can't help but feel really really sorry for Daniela De Rossi and to a lesser extent but still somewhat for Alessandro Florenzi they don't deserve this they're better than this Roma team, especially De Rossi, because I, I still think, I know you guys disagree, I think he could offer something in a, in a functioning team with better players around him. But this Roma team just leaves him so exposed and he looks so much worse than he is. Would you take him at Atalanta? Uh, no, because we've got Martin Darun and Remo Freuler in there. So they're Make a makeshift centre-back. You know what? That's not a bad call, you know. Um, He's he, done it before. Yeah, absolutely. At the Euros, right? And mm. yeah, Pasolic, I don't really rate. So get the Rossi and that'd be fantastic. I thought you were talking about Roma then for a moment. I thought I thought their, their defence, the one thing that does not need is to get any slower. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if they had a back three, maybe it, it would work a little bit better. I don't know. There's less space for the slow players to cover I guess I'm just thinking 3-5-2 yeah, is decent for them actually so a back three of Fazio Daniel De Rossi and Kolarov are we moving Kolarov up to left wing back uh, Ben Kolarov okay. Ben yeah. well he's out now because he got suspended what let's talk about that what did he actually do wrong for his second no, that, was, that, that was bad that was quite that was quite <laughs> bad actually but mainly because mm. they had this whole controversy around the fact that because it was a second yellow, they couldn't take it to VAR. Whereas if they'd just taken it to VAR, they would have shown that he tried to stop himself as much as he could. And then Immobile just kind of rolls around as if, you know, Kolarov's cleaned him out completely. And it was, was barely any contact. It happens a hundred times in a game. And it, it's just, if two players are running towards each other and one of them stops, the other player still runs into him. It's, it's not a foul or a dive you know it's one of those Immobile might have been a little bit winded but it's... I think I think it's because he gets he gets booked about 30 seconds earlier 
And then the ref almost probably instinctively thinks that, you know, he's wound up, he's going, he's going just to go and go through the next player that, that he sees, really. I think but. the referee was ending the game thinking, oh, I've not sent anyone off yet. This is a Rome derby. If I don't send anyone off, they'll be accusing me of not refereeing this properly. So mm. he just had a, a box to tick, maybe. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's the most carded game in Serie A, isn't it? What a surprise that is. What mm. a surprise. Let's, let's give Lazio some love then because they deserve it. Especially um, Vito, someone that you will know quite well. Correa, he, he, was, he was fantastic. He played that excellent through ball to Caicedo for the opening goal. And uh, he was involved in uh, winning the penalty, which made Lazio go 2-0 up. It was a nice long pass from Immobile. He made the run, got tripped. Immobile converted the penalty. And then, yeah, um, he just looked very inventive, very sharp. And I really think uh, Lazio's the ideal place for him because he looked a bit raw at Sampdoria. And also at Sevilla, he wasn't really getting the consistency. Now under Simone Inzaghi, he looks like he's a really fundamental part of that team now. And it's... I believe it's important that he does get starting berths because um, with him and the team, they do look like they have a bit more extra flair and extra fluidity. Yeah, Kev, how impressed were you by Correa? He got, I think, the best ratings in my Lazio player ratings from the game because every time he got the ball, something looked like it was going to happen. Yeah, he's 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 been on a bit of a slow burner at uh, Lazio. I saw him live last year twice for Sevilla, and I was sort of really impressed. And when he moved to Syria, I kind of uh, tipped him to do really well there. I think they they lack a bit of that speed and direction when they attack. You know, uh, Luis Alberto's not that quick to drive forward with the ball, and that again, backing up Olsen is it was the speed of that first move. You know, it's not just 
the speed at which uh, Correa travels with the ball, but the, the speed at which he pays the pass to Casado and then Casado actually to take it under control quite quickly. But um, yeah, he could be a big part of trying to push Lazio a little bit higher up the table if they can maybe oust Roma and then one of the Milanese clubs from the Champions League spots. Kev, has Robin Olsen's, have Robin Olsen's people been in touch with you? Because you've... It's it's unbelievable. Um, But yeah, someone who did score penalty was Chiro Mobile. And I was shocked that this is only his second goal of the year, the calendar year, that is, and a first since January. Vito, it's not quite going for him this year. I know he's had his, his injury and fitness concerns, but what's been the problem for him? Yeah, oh, look, I think. Lazio in general throughout the season have been down on form and the performances aren't as impressive. So I think that impacts on Immobile's service and also on how he can contribute to games. So far, he's only got 11 goals in the season and that's pretty unimpressive in comparison to the last two seasons where he managed to finish with over 20 goals in each one. He'd probably be happy to end up with maybe 15 or around there for this season. But I reckon that's why you need guys like Luis Alberto, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and Joaquin Correa to play well because they're the ones that are going to be giving Immobile the service. And even uh, even if they're not supplying him the ball, at least they can take, um, you know, they can create the space for him as well. Kev, am I overreacting by being a little bit worried for Immobile. Maybe it's because, personally, I have never quite completely trusted him as a striker. And he's had a couple of impressive seasons in Serie A, and now I'm expecting him to do that all the time. Yeah, I think you've got to allow some players a, a little bit of a dip, you know, and then the, the, to sort of bring that back round again. He's, I understand what you mean about never really being fully convinced by him. It might, you know, I've not looked at the stats, but it appears that he always needs a lot of chances to score. And maybe this is just bearing out that, you know, he's going for a spell where not even that lucky goal or chance is coming. Um, he also he also always seemed to get a lot of penalties. I don't know whether Lazio have got less of those this year. So maybe he's maybe his strike rate's flattered a little by the fact that he's, um, if you like, handed those opportunities to net. You've got to give credit to Simone Inzaghi because he started with Caicedo up top, Vito, and Caicedo scored. And that's now three starts and three goals for him. Do you think he can hold down a place and keep Immobile on the bench? If he can maintain this run, it's a possibility. That being said, Immobile played well when he came on. So it looked like that Immobile was rather hungry to do something once he was on the pitch. And perhaps that Immobile doesn't always have to be the one that's scoring. If he's involved, and that's probably good enough for Inzaghi. With the third goal for instance, he was involved in the build-up and uh, he provided the ball to Milinkovic-Savage before he laid it off to Cataldi. So even if it's not about scoring goals, if he can create a presence and be involved in the attacking play, I'm sure Inzaghi would be happy with that aspect of his game. And lastly then, on this, Kev, 
that this was a big game that Lazio won, but I'm not sure if it quite counts as them undoing their big game hoodoo, does it? Because it's it's Roma. Yeah, no, I think I'd agree actually. Because it's Roma, it's it's the whole cliche, you know, uh, form goes out the window with derbies in the same way I think you can say that this isn't this is always a big game for for Lazio and it's it's sort of kind of slightly different to those those big games that are just against the, uh, the the stronger opposition on the on on paper, if you like. From yeah, and Roma are always likely to hand teams three goals. It's not really a big deal, right, to beat Roma anymore. <laughs> but um, let's go to well, all right. There was another big result, which was Cagliari two Inter one. Vito, this was a little bit funny, wasn't it? Because Inter are the team who never stop entertaining. Whether they're good or bad, they're always interesting. And it continues inside Daniel this week. The thing that surprised me the most was how convincing the performance was from a Kayari perspective. Kayari probably should have won by a few more goals, and that's not including the penalty miss from Nicolo Barella. Inter only looked dangerous probably in the last 20 minutes or so, Otherwise, Kayari, they were very confident on the ball, especially on that right flank, and they were whipping in a lot of crosses. And even when they weren't in possession, Kayari, they were defending numbers or they would be pressing with great intensity. So Inter did not have a lot of space to move the ball around. Kev, what do you think about the the situation at Inter now? Because obviously the situation with Akardi is is well-documented, well-known. Whether or not he'll even play for them again this season seems like it's up in the air at the moment. But where do they go from here? Does Spalletti need to go? Has he just told this group everything he can possibly tell them and he's bored, they're bored? What next for them? Well, if they're not careful, it'll be Europa League football. And I don't mean getting through the next round, (laughs) but, uh, but next season. You know, I think there's a real risk of that, but... They've also, I don't think Spalletti will be there next year. I think they're probably, there's some there's some quite high profile alternatives that are not currently with clubs and they're probably trying to work out if they can actually afford those or convince them to to come to Inter. Accardi needs to go in the summer. I think the one, the one positive, if you can call it that, is that uh, Martinez finally looks as though he could potentially be the replacement. You know, he certainly, he's not, he's not shirking the responsibility of being the, the lead striker. He scored again this weekend. You know, the fact that the team isn't necessarily functioning and, and has lost these games uh, recently is, is another, is another question. Um, they, they really just have to get rid of the, oh, not dead wood, but the disruptive forces at the moment. I think the players probably have lost faith in what Spalletti's telling them. It's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because they looked so comfortable in the top three this season. I mean, it was nailed on. Yeah, it was absolutely nailed on that Italy's top three in would be Juve top and then Napoli Inter would fight for second place. And then all of a sudden Napoli pulled clear and there was a bit of a problem. You always felt that there was something bubbling under though. You know, they just sort of kept grinding along without ever really sort of you knowing why. 
Yeah, it, more like uh, they were just there by default than anything else. There was no mm-hmm. one else good enough to be there. Now Milan have got their act together a bit. They've taken over. And it does look like Milan are going to be the team who do go on to hold down third place if anyone is to to hang on to it. But before you move on to the other side of the city of Milan, um, Pavoletti, Vito, is doing okay at Cagliari. I don't think there was any doubt that he, he would do all right there, but is he a guy that we could see playing at a, a bigger team again sometime soon, or has he had his chance and missed it, and that'll be that? I reckon he's had his chance, to be honest. He's going to be 31 years old this year, and there are just quite a few players in the last decade or so that are better off just thriving at smaller clubs, and when they are the focal points in those so-called provincial sides, they're probably better off than trying to work their way into a bigger club where they've got to fight for spots. Uh, Coyote is ideal because they haven't really got anyone else and if you just uh, give him a good cross or just any good ball in the air from a free kick or corner, he'll put it away because he's so dominant in the air. Ironically, he scored the winner with his foot and it was a very good strike as well. So I think that's a good added aspect. But, uh, no, I think Pavoletti is better off at Coyote Maran is better off building the team around him and playing to his strengths so they can, you know, survive relegation then beyond this season if they want to go mid-table or somehow build a team to push for those Europa League spots. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's the positive, isn't it? A team at that level can afford to just completely play to his his style because he is a really valuable player for them. But anyway, onto on to Milan. They beat Sassuolo 1-0. It was a different type of win. It was another clean sheet for Gigi Donnarumma. But Christoph Piontek is a terrible, terrible player and he's having a big, massive crisis and he should be sold. And Kev. Well, cause what, because he didn't score? For uh, yeah, did you not see? He's, he's not scored in two games now. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I, well, yeah, people like that. It's that, that shorter, short-termism and idiocy. Um, yeah, the, the comments coming at the moment saying that um, we're wrong. <laughs> No, that is that is effectively what Inter should have been looking at if they are going to be planning on getting rid of Mauro Cardi. You know, repeat. Sorry, I was looking at a comment there, trying to work out what. Yeah, it... no, I think you know when we when we talk about the problems at Inter, Piontek is exactly the forward thinking move that Inter should have tried to get in on. You know, obviously Milan were trying to replace Higuain, which was almost happening immediately. Um, this January, just gone. But, you know, I don't... I don't see where Inter have got any forward thinking of a long-term replacement for Riccardi. Well, there's a boy who can score goals playing quite close to Inter at the moment, and he might need a move, which is Patrick Coutrone, because it's strange that Milan had this guy who can score goals, he's young, he's talented, he can sniff out space in the box, and they brought in Piontek and it was it looked like one of them was going to have to suffer or else both would. And it, as it turns out, Piontek's hit the ground running. So Vito Coutrone is suffering. Do you think he might have to leave the San Siro to get more playing time and to actually have his own career? I think it's too early to tell. And we also have to see how things go next season, depending on uh, which competition they qualify for. Let's say they make the Champions League. It's important for Milan to have that depth 
And uh, there's also the possibility that Andre Silva might not be bought outright from Sevilla and he could return. So who knows what will happen there and what formation the Tuzo will choose to use next season. That being said, there was one rumour that had emerged that Torino could sign him for 30 million euros. Cotrone, that is, not Andre Silva, but I don't know how much truth is in that. That seems crazy. I think Cotrone has probably done enough to earn. I know Torino might actually be in Europe next year, but Cotrone seems to have proven himself at a club of a bit of a higher level than that. So I'm... I was I was quite surprised actually because when when um, the whole transfer issue or saga, if we call it that, was going on with Higuain, he was actually playing up front with Catrone. So when Piontek came in, I kind of thought that Gattuso has this idea of playing the two of them together, you know, and try and develop that partnership that could probably go forward long term for Milan, and then it never really tested out at all, whether they can or not play together is you know where you only find out if you actually do try but he was trying it to try and get a get a song out of uh, Higuain uh, earlier in the season so I was just quite surprised that they they haven't yet tried that because it does feel like a waste when you see Cotrone coming on in the the 83rd minute really and you just think that's that's seven minutes you're going to get there and some injury time you could do with more at this stage of your career yeah I know it did seem to work quite well at times with Cutrone and Aguayan playing together, but I think Cutrone and Piontek are probably two of the same strikers. So if it was Piontek and Aguayan, they might play together, or Aguayan and Cutrone, but not the other two. Because although he gets a lot of criticism for being lazy, Aguayan, I think he's he's quite sacrificial. He, he's always willing to drop back and move into spaces that create spaces for other players, and I think that's something he doesn't quite get enough credit for. And, I thought we saw that in glimpses this season with Milan, but we won't talk about him because Milan fans get angry if you say anything nice about Gonzalo Higuain because he's a terrible, terrible person because he didn't want to play for them. Um, Atalanta 3, Fiorentina 1. This was fun. What a week it has been between these two as well. They've played each other twice and there have been 10 goals, but we're starting with Papu Gomez, guys, because, oh my God, Vito, what a goal. Superb solo strike, and uh, you can tell that he makes a huge difference to that team. He was clearly missed last week against Torino, and just to have him back for the Coppa Italia game midweek, you could see, you know, with the goal he scored. And then um, this morning, or your time over there uh, during the evening, um, he scored another fantastic goal. So it's important that he's scoring goals like that, and... Uh, Atalanta in general are a great team to watch and they have great team play, but when you have individuals that produce that kind of magic, it adds another dimension to their play and it just makes makes the game more pleasing on the eye as well. You live for highlights like that. It's crazy because everybody knows how good Papu is. Well, I say that. I still think he's one of the most underrated players in Europe because outside of Italy, nobody seems that aware of him, which is just crazy because he makes such a difference to this team and Vito you're right they are entertaining I would go as far as to say they're probably one of the most entertaining teams to watch in Europe the way they play football is just so so good Gasparini's got them playing so well on that front three or even just Ilicic and Papu when they're on it it's a real joy to watch them but 
a lot of the way they play and the willingness of the fullbacks on even one or two of the defenders to get forward is because of Kev, people we mentioned earlier, Martin Darun and Remo Freuler. And they've proven their importance again in recent weeks. And they're just so good. Yeah, we touched on it a few weeks ago. They really are those players that won't get the plaudits. Maybe because the likes of uh, Gomez sort of symbolise this team, you know, the fun, joyful element of their play. And it's that that un, unseen tactical discipline of, of the rest of the midfield and the, the ability to sort of distribute the ball quickly and efficiently that, 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 that gets missed sometimes, unless you're there actually soaking, soaking in the... The action live. Yeah, this is it because when Darun was there with Atalanta before, I think they was it the year they nearly got relegated. They finished seventeenth or something, just the season before Gasparini came in. And in Gasp's first year, Darun was at Middlesbrough. And he came back and he really struggled to settle in for the first few weeks. But Gasparini has just transformed him into so much more of a better midfielder, and that's just what Gasp does. You were speaking about joy and happiness and Papu and he brought his dance back when he scored on, on Sunday and there was a great clip actually his his wife Linda uploaded it onto Instagram when he got his goal in midweek it was his little kid well his eldest of the three kids Bouty was watching the goal on, on TV and on the sixth or seventh replay he noticed that it had gone through LaFont's legs and his little face just lit up and he was like oh, it was a nutmeg. It was just a fantastic moment that made me very, very happy. But uh, we should probably mention that Luis Muriel was on target again for Fiorentina. Vito, he's, he is just exactly what they were missing. Absolutely. Uh, I find that Fiorentina attacking with greater pace now. Um, they're, yeah, they're a lot quicker and more inventive. And just by having his presence, for some reason... It's impacted on the team in a positive way. They were struggling for goals early in the season, but with his addition, Fiorentina have been involved in a lot of exciting games, and I think his presence has really benefited the other attack-minded players too. So I think, yeah, just uh, the way he's been playing and uh, he's scoring with consistency, which is a big plus for Fiorentina, and it'd be good if Fiorentina could make his move permanent and he can sustain the, the form beyond this season because I think he's the kind of guy that will make the difference between them having some hope of qualifying for the Europa League or maybe even win the Coppa Italia or not. For sure. You, you would be worried, though, that maybe his form will continue until he gets that permanent move and then it will fluctuate a little bit more. Kev, you're <laughs> nodding. Yeah, I thought that as Vito was saying it, and, I thought, and then you've just take, taken the words right out of my mouth. It's it, it it's it's spooky how that often happens with players on loan, and then when they get a permanent move, things start to go a little bit differently for them. It's just with him as well. He's so seasonal. He blows so hot and cold that mm. he's one of those I never quite trust him either. But for completely different reasons to Immobile, um, we should mention that the fourth of March, obviously is the, the first anniversary of Davide Astori's passing. And all of the Serie A games this week were were stopped in the 13th minute and there was supposed to be 13 seconds of applause. But in every case, that that applause lasted for well over a minute. And at the Spal game that I was at today, it was actually quite quite moving being there for it because the ball went out of play, the referee stopped and 
everyone just rose and applause and it was it was impeccably observed it was a really nice touch so we should just address that before we move on uh, i spoke about spal they they lost at home to sampdoria they've they've now not won in 11 games in ferrara at the paolo mazza and it's a real concern and it was it was that man again he doesn't do normal goals. He doesn't do normal careers because he's 36 and he's better than ever. Fabio Quagliarella, Vito, he scored a scissors kick and another, and he's now scored as many goals as Cristiano Ronaldo this season. It's absolutely unbelievable. It was that spell which uh, Sampdoria lost three games and he didn't score in them, but fortunately he's regained his form and he is such a big difference maker for some. Not only that, just at his age, you see all of these cliches and all that, but uh, when I see people saying that he's like a fine wine just getting better with age, it sums him up perfectly because he was not producing these numbers in his younger years. Now, in which most people would be declining, he's playing like a guy who's at his peak and it's not the end of the season. There's a very good chance that he'll hit 20 goals a season for the first time in his senior career, and that's incredible for a man his age. And he said, incredible goals too. It's not just the tap-ins. It was these sublime goals that you expect from bigger names or at bigger clubs, but he's doing it at Sampdoria, who are nowhere near the late 80s or early 90s standard, but he just gives... Uh, the Doriani, some redeeming features, something appealing to a team that's mid-table fighting for the Europa League. And sometimes that's the thing with those small clubs. They might not have the big names, but there's always going to be something that makes them appealing in their own way. And Quayarella definitely brings that appeal. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. It's not just the number of goals. It's the the style of goals that he scores because he scores the goals of an 18-year-old or the goals that an 18-year-old can no longer do because they're not agile enough. Today, he got the scissor kick. He got the the back heel from, what was it, the edge of the box against Napoli. He scored a, a really good goal against Fiorentina in a game I was at as well. And he's just, he's so enjoyable to watch. He really, really is. At the other end of their careers, then, Vito, I'll stick with you for this, it was um, Carol Linetti and Dennis Pratt because they... They have just developed so much. I was so impressed by them today. They absolutely bossed it in midfield. And I think it was Pratt that is vice-captain now, or at least he was today. He's vice now. He's so good. He's he's come such a long way in the last couple of seasons. And I like that uh, Roberto Martinez is starting to call up for the Belgian national team. So guess to show you don't have to be one of those big-name EPL stars like De Bruyne, Bertongen or Enanaza to get picked for Belgium. Uh, I think we've learned with Nangalan he had his own issues, so that's why he wasn't getting picked. It wasn't because he was in Serie A, but when you get Timothy Castagna from Catania, I mean, sorry, Atalanta, <laughs> of course, Dennis Pratt getting selected, um, I think uh, it goes to show that Belgium's got a lot of depth. And uh, I'm glad that Pratt managed to come to Sampdoria because Samp only paid no more than 10 million euros for him. And he's been a fantastic addition to the team. He doesn't score the spectacular goals and he doesn't always get the big assists, but he keeps the play ticking and he has that comfort on the ball, whereas uh, some of the other midfielders probably aren't as comfortable as him 
or they don't have his successful passing distribution. No, absolutely. And they, Samp were knocking it about really, really nicely today. Even Emil Adero wearing the, the usual home shirt in goal thought he was an outfield player at times because they were just playing it around their own six-yard box and they were toying <laughs> with Spal. It was, it was risky, but it, they, never looked, they never looked nervous by it. Kev, were you following my tweets throughout this game? Uh, I don't think I was. <laughs> because there was absolute madness. The the Spal fans are all. Oh yes, no, I was. <laughs> yes, sorry, <laughs> I had a, I had a moment of blanking. Yeah, the whole the whole VAR controversy and then the walkout. Yeah, what the what was going on? It was mad because the Spal fans are always good. The atmosphere is great, and they're always a little bit fiery. But they were just quite frustrated today, which you can kind of understand, given their team hadn't won in ten at home before that and. Sergio Flockery scored a goal, or, or so it seemed. Everyone thought it was a goal. They, did the, they announced the goal, they went back, and then the, it was clear that VAR was being checked, and the referee just stood, pointed to his ear, and then everyone started abusing the referee. And the, it, everyone's waiting to kick off for about two minutes, and the referee's just getting abused. So he starts doing stretches, and it, it, this was really funny. I, I was just sitting there laughing. A few of us were just sitting there laughing at the situation. That's Spal almost fans. goading. That's almost goading the fans. I know, I know. When he first did it, I thought that's what he was doing. But then I thought, no, this is a guy who's been running around all day, and now he's been standing still. So he probably does need to stretch, because the players were still kind of moving about. But it, it was good because the volume level raised when he started doing his stretches. And then all of a sudden, his stance changed and you realized, oh, this isn't going as planned. He's going to have to do something. And he looked a little bit nervous and he made his signal, you know, the, the screen. Yeah. And then he went over and everyone was losing their minds. Um, Leonardo Semplici was going mental as well. All of the players ran over. Did he we ever was, find out why it was disallowed? Um, I, I saw on Twitter that Andrea Patania was in an offside position, I think, but there's okay. no little TVs at Spa, so I didn't see. Well, it wasn't clear in the highlights either. So. Ah, okay. Maybe that's why the decision took so long, because it took a long time. So then when he came back on and disallowed the goal, everyone lost it. They went mental. And the Spa curva just left. So <laughs> Spa's ultras who had stuck by them, this whole time, just decided, no, this is it, we're done. And half of them just left. But I don't know where they went, because not all of them seemed to leave the stadium. They were, like, just in other parts of the ground. So other bits of the stadium were now overflowing because there were just more fans there than there had already been. But after that, there was no sound. So Spouse fans just stopped making any sort of noise. And it was kind of funny because you could see the the number 12 in the seats, which has been put there because their fans are the 12th man and they had just abandoned them. It was quite funny. So spot how many, how many years do you think it will be before we see the first city-wide riot sort of inspired by a VAR decision? Well, if, if Spal keep getting done at home, I think it could be a couple of weeks because... Cars overturned on fire. The, um, the Ferraresi are quite quite hot-headed so you don't know it, it mightn't be too far away but they got that goal in the end Yasmin Kurtish got a really nice free kick but it was too, very much too little too late and Sam got their I win I wish the first had gone in yeah his free kick from an improbable angle by about two yards it missed the goal it, it was such a, 
such a great strike. It was a great effort. I had a beautiful view of that as I was right in front of me. And I thought it was in, even though I had seen it when I saw the net move in the way that it did, I thought my eyes had played a trick on me and it had actually gone inside the post. And yeah, it was, it was close. It was close, but that's that. I love going to, to Ferrara. The Paolo Mats is a fantastic stadium. I think it's, I tweeted that after San Siro, it's my favorite place to watch football here. It's so nice. Just get a nice feeling walking along because you go in at one end and you have to walk along the front of the stand beside the pitch to get to the press box. And it's it's unusual for it to happen that way, but it's it's really nice. I quite like it. Good colours too. You don't often see that shade of blue. And I think it, it's quite good when the whole stadium's like that. But Aaron Holland wants to know, is Destro going to Serie B? Yes. Right. We can move on now that that's been addressed. That He's going there with Bologna. <laughs> right, we're not going to talk about this. Udinese got a big win, though, to give them the credit, but we are a little bit tight for time, and I do want to talk about someone else. Torino got a big win at Chievo. Andrea Bellotti got a Golazzo, uh, which was nice. Empoli, three, Parma, three, which was quite a chaotic end, quite funny as well. Um, there was a bit of VAR drama, which was good. And then Genoa Frozen only played at a game that literally nobody cares about, and it finished nil-nil. But Someone that I do want to talk about, guys, is... Oh, it's Mario Balotelli. How can you not love him? I I don't understand how you can not love Mario Balotelli. Because Francesco Totti scored in the Derby della Capitale a couple of seasons ago. Took a selfie and everybody loved it. Everyone. No one hated it. And this was Francesco Totti, a guy at the end of his career represents the old guard, the old way of doing things, right? No one had problems. Mario Balotelli, having the absolute time of his life in France, scored again for Marseille, and he went one better. He posted to Instagram during the match, live on his story. It was, he outdid Totti, and people have a problem with it. Kev, what's happening here? I don't know. I think the only, the only people that should be annoyed ever with Balotelli are his coaches, <laughs> because for a supremely talented young man, I can imagine he can frustrate them. But as a fan, you've just got to accept it. And he's bringing a bit of, you know, life and color into the game where she's not always that uh, sort of widely available at times. It gets a bit too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we were speaking about this before we came on and, it's something that he's he's always had a problem with, right? And you, it, as much as you don't want to say it, if his skin color was different, he probably wouldn't have faced as much of the the nonsense from media and fans that he has had to put up with. You, you know, this whole thing about his Italian identity, and even when he was in England, I said to you about the he was basically Raheem Sterling before Raheem Sterling. He had the the incident with the fireworks at his house, which was obviously a very silly thing, but the the response was a little bit over the top. Yeah, and I think as as players start to earn more and more money, you know, over the last sort of decade, decade and a half, it's you know, it's it's young, rich, young men that people are jealous of, really. It does largely boil down to jealousy. Yeah, I think so. And it's weird the comparisons with Totti, right? Because with Totti, he's a guy that everyone looks up to. 
Whereas with Balotelli, a lot of the people criticizing him will be older than him. So they think, oh, you, you shouldn't be allowed to do these things. Maybe get back in your place. I don't know. Vito, where do you stand on, on Super Mario? For his own field, off field antics, look, um, with the selfie, I don't have much issue with it. And there are times, especially in his younger years, where he acted a bit childish. But the times where I get really irritated with Balotelli is when he's had poor games throughout his career. And he'd be sulking at either referees or his teammates, whatnot. And uh, those are the times where I've been extremely frustrated because he is an amazing talent. He always has been that. But there are games where he's been absolutely downright hopeless. And I'll say it bluntly, he has been hopeless. But on his day, he's a fantastic player and he's one of the few Italian strikers with a bit of X factor in him. So I'm glad that he's back at form for Marseille. He's got four goals in six league on games since leaving Nice. So great to see. And the way Italy's playing now uh, with the 4 3 3 and the more fluid midfield, they need a striker. So hopefully Balotelli can slot into that team and actually take some chances, you know, not just one or two goals, but if he can put up a few hat-tricks as well, hopefully, and really steer this team and make sure this Azzurri team stands out because in comparison to the rest of the team, believe it or not, he'd be a seasoned veteran. So I think with his qualities, if Mancini can keep him focused, I still think he's got some future with the national team, but I wouldn't lose too much sleep with it. We can't just depend on Balotelli. It's up to him to realise what he can do and what a difference he can make because, as I've kept on saying, um, when he's on, he's fantastic to watch. Yeah, I'd have him back in the Italy team in the heartbeat. Kev? I'm not sure he's ever going to be prolific, and I think that's one of the one of the problems, uh, you know, which was similar to Sterling with the England national side. People look at the stats. You know, people aren't necessarily watching the game or understanding the, the the greater benefit that a player gives to the team through their movement or holding the ball up. They look at assists, they look at goals. And if they play someone plays in a position or is a type of player um that, that isn't gonna sort of be scoring every week or every other week, it uh they just use it as a rod to sort of beat them with. And I think that's that's probably what has disadvantaged him at the start of his career. It's that thing again, though, that everything's disproportionate now, too, because of Messi and Ronaldo. So yeah. Balotelli doesn't score very, very few goals. He gets a reasonable number of goals for a striker that's not the best player of all time, and he's he's held up against these two freaks. Kev, um, Clunky Ice says Liverpool are bottlers. I'm not sure where that's come from, but I think it's aimed at you. This is a Serie A show. Nothing <laughs> that. <laughs> That's no, I just I, I laughed when I saw that go in, but oh well. Right, guys, that will do it because I do have some audio from Alistair McKenzie from Naples to add into this before it goes up on Spotify, iTunes, Acast, and the rest. So thank you all for joining us in the comments. It, Aaron, please dry your tears in time to join us again next week, and we look forward to seeing you in the comments after another Roma defeat. But yeah. That's that's it. Kev, thank you very much for your return. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Vito. Welcome, Connor. Clunky Ice says see ya, so I will say that's all there is for me to say other than ciao for now. Ciao.
cielo bianco azzurro brilla una stella che in tutto il firmamento è sempre la più bella ed ogni volta che rintocca il campanone ho voglia di cantare questa canzone Lazio sul prato verde vola Lazio tu non sarai mai sola vola un'aquila nel cielo Aquilotto noi voliamo via, la domenica sempre ci fai compagnia, con le bandiere al vento e un tuffo in fondo al cuore, sono brividi forti e voglia di gridare, perché il coro che famo tutti quanti insieme, dice Lazio sei grande, te volemo bene, Lazio, sul prato verde vola.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.